0: Blog Talk Radio. It says it's not on.
1: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. We apologize. We're having some trouble, or uh, Blog Talk is having some trouble. And so, hopefully you're hearing this. It did give me a a starting signal. So, are you on it, Jeannie?
0: I can hear you.
1: Oh, good. All right. We can be heard. Our apologies for being late. This is the second day in a row. They've had a problem. And uh, we will work to resolve it and make sure it's the last day that happens, because that really knocks the heck out of things. In any event, we're honored and delighted that you're here. And let's see, today is February the 18th. 2016, just so we've got a date mark around the show, and we are getting ready this evening. A couple more folks to arrive, and we'll start tonight with uh, Laws of Living intensive. So we're kind of rocking over here in Orlando, Florida, and our work, of course, is uh, an ongoing process of how do we get to understand this game of life from the perspective of first century Aramaic forgiveness. And recognizing that when we're in pain, it's because there's an energy within us that does not belong in us, as opposed to somebody out there did something to us. It reverses, when you start looking from the first century perspective, it reverses everything. The world has got it backward. And from the first century Aramaic perspective and insight you start to see the reason it's backward is because right from the get-go, we've been taught so incorrectly how things work. For instance, we're told that we each have a pair of windows that look out onto the world, and we see what's out there. And yet, what the Aramaic reveals, and right on up to uh, one of the most Recent pieces of research we found is on the CIA's website, where the CIA is working to have the best perception possible for its analysts in gathering intelligence information. We won't discuss the parameters of why and who they're gathering the intelligence on and what that game's about, but just the simple fact that they've spent who knows how many millions of tax dollars understanding perception And there's actually a book you can download free from their website. And, quote, we do not record reality, we construct reality. Now, if I think I have a pair of windows that's looking out there in the world, I think I see what's out there rather than my mind's representation of it. And when I recognize that it's my mind's representation of the world, then I realize that it is subject to flaws. How do I tell if my guidance system, my perceptual system, is flawed? Well, let's go back 2,000 years ago and take a look from the perspective of the teachings of a man named Yeshua. He's popularly known as Jesus thought of as a religious leader, not a religious leader, not a religious teacher, not necessarily even a religious person, but rather one who knows how life works and knows how to be in relationship with the source of life, which he called his father. And when he talks about perception, here's what he says. Now, the Greeks have manipulated the teachings and turned them so backward that everything is the opposite of what it was meant to be. Everything is so insanely backward. But let's listen to this passage from the Aramaic, pardon me, from the Greek perspective, which most people are familiar with, and then let's look at the Aramaic perspective. We hear Yeshua saying, the eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep will your darkness become? Now, Wait a minute, what do you mean the eye is the lamp? What what, what does that mean? And if darkness for you is the light, how can darkness be light? That makes no sense. Let's look at the Aramaic. The Aramaic says the perceptual output of your mind is meant to be the guide for your earthly life. If your lights are out, that is, if darkness... For you is the light. That is, if darkness for you is the guide you follow, then how deep will your darkness become? What is darkness in Aramaic? Hostility and fear. If hostility and fear plays a part in your perception, and you'll notice if there's anything in your life, a business, a relationship, whatever, that you've destroyed, you'll notice that you did it from a perspective of a darkened mind, a mind that was darkened by hostility and fear. Hostility and fear mean that the mind is using corrupt data to try to guide you and construct your perceptual output, your reality. So what Yeshua is giving us is a piece of guidance on how the perceptual mind works, nothing to do with theology. I use an analogy when I talk about this in the workshop of, I ask the question, has anybody ever been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky? Of course, there's always somebody in the room who has. And if you haven't been there, the next time you get to Kentucky, whatever it takes, go see it. It's, it's amazing and very appropriately named when you call it Mammoth Cave. Imagine that we take somebody and we tell them that somewhere on the wall of the cave there is a bag with a million dollars' worth of diamonds, a clear plastic bag. And we put them in the cave with a pen light. Now, you get into Mammoth Cave, and you've never been in a building as big as Mammoth Cave, to give you a sense of it. So imagine you're standing there with a pen light, and you can see one tiny, tiny corner of the cave at a time. So you stand there for hours, and finally, you see the sparkle of the diamonds. Not wanting to lose that bag of diamonds with the cave being so mammoth, you charge off in the direction of the diamonds to grab them and get out of the cave. And you don't use the light to show you the 30-foot pit that's in front of you. You're not getting out of Mammoth Cave alive. That's an exact analogy for the human mind. There's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of information that makes up your perception, that constructs literally the world you see, is nine bits. So nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, and it's been estimated that the world of actuality contains approximately 20 trillion bits of data. So if you think about it, you know, as Mammoth Cave, a 20 trillion piece world, or bit world, in computer terms, 10,000 bits of information firing you, and nine bits are all your mind uses to construct what it sees. Better be pointed in the right direction, you know. Before you take a step toward that bag of diamonds on the wall, you better look down and see if there's something beneath your feet or you're dead. Exact analogy. Perception is the light or the guide. The eye, as the Greeks translated from the Aramaic, perception is meant to guide you. If your guidance is based in hostility and fear, what do they say? How deep has your darkness become? What kinds of crazy things have you done to destroy yourself? So what do those who want to use people take advantage of them, and scam everything they can out of their pockets. Do. They structure their minds purposely with hostility and fear. And so now one lives in a world of darkness, and they think that the darkness is about the world. They have no idea that the darkness that fills their perception is an inside job. They actually think they're seeing what's out there in their hostility and fear-based mind. When I recognize that what I'm seeing is a construct of my mind that always tells me more about the content of my mind than the world that I think I'm looking at, the desirable thing would seem to be to have a tool with which to collapse that false construct, get to the root of it, and remove what never belonged in the perceptual system in the first place. I'd offer that what never belonged in your perceptual system from day one was any form of hostility and fear. And yet, you know, take a look at our political systems Our religious systems, how much hostility and fear, how often have you heard the preacher rage and degrade and tell you what's wrong with you? That's brainwashing. What did kings do? Keep them in fear. Because the guidance system will never show them what is truly possible for a human being. I'm waiting for the day when we hit critical mass and seven and a half people wake up one morning understanding that their perceptual system connected to love will guide them in ways that we haven't even fathomed are yet possible. And just how seven and a half billion people plugged into a proper power supply, which is love, and if you don't know what that is, hold a newborn child. You know There are no words. The whole perceptual system has been so degraded that in the English language there are no words that can even start to approximate what that word love actually means. So we've developed a simple experiential way to tell what the word means. Hold a newborn child. Your mind, your perceptual system, is designed to be plugged into that. When it is, you will reach out from a space of connected bliss into the world with aliveness, with joy, with healing, with a touch that the world that lives in darkness could not even fathom or imagine. Know, the world of darkness, you know, the world of relationship with all its hostilities and fears and rages and people leaving and people escaping and people hating and people fearing and people divorcing has not yet conceived what a relationship would be like if two people were on a cellular level continuously the trillions of cells in their bodies plugged into and connected to the bliss of active, present love. The world has not yet conceived of what that might look like. And the work of Yeshua, and you know, you you go back to this story about John the Baptist, and this just plugs in perfectly here. Remember that John the Baptist was called the, the raving maniac in the desert, And he was called the forerunner of the Christ. These are not religious ideas, by the way. These are not names of religious people. These are people who knew how the perceptual system was designed to work and supported people being restored to proper perception, being connected to a proper power supply and source of energy to run their minds accurately and appropriately. So what does it mean when they say John the Baptist, number one, is the forerunner of the Christ? The word Christ means an open channel to God's mind, to the active presence of love. It's not the name of a male. It's actually the name of an office. And so what what they were saying was that you would have to meet someone, and they used John the Baptist as a symbol of that, who could open the space for you to be connected to that higher mind. Now, why did they call him the raving maniac in the desert? Because the desert is a code word in the Aramaic for the unconscious. And when people start to look into their unconscious minds, the raving, the insanity, the rage, the guilt, the grief, the fear, the terrorism, the hatred, the vengeance, the slaughter, the murder, it is beyond comprehension. And so before you could awaken to that direct open mind that you were born with and designed for again, before you could awaken to that again, you had to meet someone, his name was John the Baptist, who could bring everything up that was less than loving you. Basically, the way that's done is the mind that lives in hostility and fear lives in blockage of truth. And in its blockage of truth, when truth shows up, it's stress goes through the roof. And so you remember John the Baptist delivered to the king and queen information that they did not want to see. Now this was kind of isolated. It was just two people. Two people who were engaging in immoral acts, John said, King, Queen, that will not serve your energy system. That will not support you. That will not be healthy for you, even though your your Genitals may desire it. Your being will be repulsed by it because you're engaging in an energy that will destroy you. So he gave them that information. Their stress went up. And what did they do? They took off his head. Now, he was the forerunner. then, and, and, and he said, you know, well, there's this guy coming, and I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He's saying, you know, my teaching, the stuff I'm doing is so inferior. But there's somebody coming. I'm not worthy to tie shoes, and he's going to tell you the real truth. So imagine John the Baptist delivers to the king and queen a truth they're not willing to look at. Their stress goes up. They literally behead him. Then Yeshua comes along, and he delivers to the whole pharisaical community. Now, remember his definition of a Pharisee. Actually, it's connected to that piece of information about perception and darkness. If you look at the next line after that passage, it says, and a Pharisee came and invited him to dinner. Now, it, it is thought that the Pharisee is a, a, a sect of Jews. No, that wasn't what he was talking about. And here's where he defines what a Pharisee is. He, said he So he goes to lunch with this guy. He sits down to eat, and he doesn't wash his hands first. And the Pharisee's like, what? You didn't follow the law? You didn't wash your hands before you sat down to eat? And then Yeshua delivers his exact and precise definition of a Pharisee. He says, you Pharisees, you're stuck in your outer rituals. Yes, you wash your hands before dinner. But he says, your inward parts... He says, you keep clean the outside of the cup and the platter. Our world is filled with Pharisees today, pharisaical minds, and it's got nothing to do with Jews. Our world is filled with Pharisees. Everywhere you see hostility and fear expressing, you've got a pharisaical mind. So he says, you keep the outside of the cup and the platter clean, but your inward parts, the root of your perceptual system, is filled with, the Greeks translate the words as ravening and wickedness, but basically it's just hostility and fear. so you try to keep everything so neat and orderly and everything has to be nice and the car has to be shiny and the you know the 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 china has to be in the right place and the da da and everything has to be perfect so that nothing will trigger you into having to look at what's going on inside of you. Nothing will be triggered if everything in the outer world looks perfect. And guess what will happen? The hostility and fear that you're holding you will literally physically kill you because it is the root of all disease. And so Yeshua then takes his teaching. I mean, he goes so far beyond John the Baptist. He's, he's just playing with the king and queen and he loses his head. Now there's a black op story which is designed to keep you in hostility and fear that they made up after the Pharisees murdered him. And the black ops story is the reason they murdered him, the reason he died was because you sinned. There's such a lie, such a fraud, such a cover-up of the truth. Why did they murder him? Well, in one phrase, he explains it. He says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, these a whole group of people have got everybody else right where they want them. I mean, they get the, the best of the fatted calves. They get the best of the field. They're, I mean, they're living like royalty and doing nothing but their rituals. And everybody, they've got a good deal going. And Yeshua basically shatters that game by delivering the truth to them. And their stress goes so high, there is such rage, such as the Greeks translate it, ravening and wickedness, that they literally slaughter him. That's the reason he was slaughtered. Nothing to do with you, folks. You're off the hook. You're free on that one. You had nothing whatsoever to do to it, with it. But there was a whole story made up that will help to keep people in their hostility and fear in the name of a man who said, hey, the number one to to the game is you've got to maintain love in your mind. And yet here the teaching is twisted by those who don't have a clue what's going on into, ah, it's your fault. You see, you did it. It's all such a scam. So if you want a perceptual system that works, you stay connected to love. And when hostility and fear comes up, if you know this truth and you have the tool of forgiveness, you will be free. Because you will know that if hostility fear arouses its ugly head in you, that your mind is telling you a lie, your perceptual system is off base, and whatever you're trying to change in the world to make it the way you want it to be, to keep the outside of the cup and the platter clean, if you stop that, and you go inside and remove, that is, forgive your hostility and fear, then your perceptual system will be cleansed. It will show you the truth, and you will have liberty from all insanity. And everything in your world is going to change. That's the core of the teaching. And the forgiveness process, again, this is another piece that they turn totally backward, a la Karl Marx, or pardon me, Vladimir Lenin. Take a look at Lenin's writing. And he says, in order to destroy a culture, change the meaning of its words. So what did they do with love? They made love something we do to each other. It isn't something we do to each other. It's a state of being designed to fuel your mind. They made forgiveness. I have my mind being fueled by hostility or fear. It must be your fault, so I'll let you off the hook. So now my perceptual system is crippled and... Somebody taught me, and, and go go sit in virtually any church in America, and they'll tell you, you just forgive them. You forgive yourself. That's all a fraud. That's all a lie. It's a total, complete bastardization of the teaching. Forgiveness means remove the root of your hostility or fear so that your perceptual system is based on a proper, proper energy flow called love. And then you'll be restored to the truth of who you are. And when you know the truth then you'll be free of the brainwash of all the kings, the queens, the pharisees of the world. And then, once you're functioning as love, what you will do is you will maintain a state... Now, <coughs> pardon me. it's going to take a while, maybe just a few decades for you to get to the point where you literally physiologically live in the bliss that you were designed to live in. Live in the ecstasy that's designed for one whose cellular structure is totally connected to love. It may take you some time if you've been trained into a world of hostility and fear. But it's your birthright to have every cell in your structure, just like that newborn, totally connected to the active presence of love, and the result is physical. You're designed to live there. Your culture's taught you to unplug and think that hostility or fear is normal, is good, is natural, and is actually human. And that's all a fraud. As you restore yourself to your birthright, living with every cell connected to love, you will reach out in gentleness, in sweet words, sweet thoughts, sweet eyes, to those around you, including even what the world might call your worst enemy. And as you reach out with that energy, because it is the most powerful, penetrating the energy that there is, even the kings and the queens of the world will heal before you. But you can't do it if your perceptual system is guided by and filled with hostility and fear. the work of forgiveness, and if you haven't touched into the forgiveness process from the first century Aramaic, and as far as I know, unless they got it from the work we've done with the Kabor's manuscript, there's no place on the planet you're going to find forgiveness. No place. I say that with, and I've, I've looked for half a century, there's no place on the planet you will find out how to forgive. You'll be taught that forgiveness is about you just let them off the hook. I offer that forgiveness is the removal of hostility and fear that you put into your brain's image of others that will render you human. When Yeshua says you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother, that's not a bleeding heart statement as the Greeks would present it. The heart, in the ancient Aramaic again, is the unconscious. He's saying you must go into your own unconscious the part of you that hides from you, your hostility, your fear, your turmoil, and your pain. And as you remove that, forgive that, you will be restored to a perceptual system that works properly, one that's based in love, and your words and your thoughts and your state of being will be in that sweet gentleness of the presence of love. It's where you're designed to live. When you give it up, what you want to do, is recapture the forgiveness process and remove the next piece that can take you out of it and the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, we've shared over the last few days and we've been playing the song for for new arrivals as they've, uh, they've come to the intensive and that song of Alanis Morissette called Madness. I mean, she just put it together so powerfully and she starts out, my unwillingness, to look at the turmoil in me and to think and sit with that leaves me paralyzed. Now I know the madness in me is brought out in the presence of you, John the Baptist, thank you. And the madness still exists when you leave the room. It used to be easy to cross my arms and roll my eyes and blame you. There's nobody to blame if your perceptual system is off base, not even yourself. All there is is a perceptual system that generates realities that are off base with love. That's all. There's no blame involved. There's no fault. It's simply a system that's off base and needs to be replugged into its power supply. Flagellating yourself and being guilty and to blame for all of that will not restore you to your original state. What will restore you is removing the hostility and fear that never belonged in you. Someone the other day said something about, you know, back in the Middle Ages when people would flagellate themselves in order to feel love. Excuse me. People flagellate themselves because it created endorphins and they got high on it. It was nothing to do with feeling love. They were drugging themselves. Today, people cut themselves—the same thing. It's self-flagellation in order to create such pain that the body floods with endorphins and one gets high. And and somehow that becomes a substitute for the the connected state that we're designed to live in. And of course, the world offers us all kinds of of alternatives to living as the truth of who we are as love, connected to that bliss and ecstasy. Oh, here, I've got a drug for you that says the legal and the illegal pushers. You don't have to feel your pain. I can cover that up for you. Not that there isn't a place for that. That can't even save a life. But if one is not offered the tools of healing at the same time to remove the root of their pain, and there's trouble. If you haven't touched into the forgiveness process yet, we invite you to, and you'll find that on our website, www.whyagain.org, www.whyagain.org. Scroll down a little bit, click on the bullseye. It opens a whole series of links. It'll walk you through hours and hours and hours and hours of understanding and supportive work on how to remove the root of perception based in hostility or fear and be restored to the active presence of love, your birthright. We're here to support you doing that. And we're honored and delighted that you're here to share the space with us. Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us today? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, welcome back, young man. I hope that uh, mom had an awesome visit to the chiropractor and is better off for it, and so are you.
2: Yes, that is true. We found a very fabulous gentle practitioner who does a lot of cranial work and so we're hoping to have her feeling more comfort and um <clears throat> I understood that when I checked into the show today and it wasn't on that Jeannie said, Yep, that's two days in a row So It is, bummer. We're hoping we'll
1: get it repaired.
2: yeah i don't i I don't know how that works. I didn't even try to go on and do anything with it because I know if if I don't have uh prime access i I remember one other time it happened when we were too late getting to the show and so it was uh, by default it just reschedules for the next day if we don't you know log in fast enough and there was some way to schedule a new show, but I didn't master that so
1: Right. Well, we so
2: hopefully, hopefully it'll all be uh, yeah. fixed and um, back to normal.
1: We're holding the space for it for sure. They tell us that it wasn't scheduled, and you know, uh, Carol, uh, who hosts uh, the, the particular site that we've got, um, we called her and she said oh, she's got it scheduled through March. So there's some kind of a problem with Blog Talk, and we'll uh, we'll be in touch with them after the show to see just what's going on. And uh, Carol was contacting them, so. She did call me back after we'd started the show, but I wasn't going to interrupt to to talk with her.
0: I've been texting back and forth with
1: her. Oh, good. Okay. So hopefully we'll have it resolved. Once in a while there's a little hiccup there, but overall and by and large, even with those occasional hiccups, have this technology available that you can be up there in chicagoland and we can be down here in orlando and somebody else can be in memphis and i got a text from kentucky i got a text from uh where else one other text came in and said oh where's the radio show oh yeah from memphis uh just that we've got that technology available to us and and we can put these things in archives over 1300 hours of them and make them available on a global scale is just Beyond my appreciation level, it's just like as big appreciation as I can come up with, it's bigger than that, that we have this now available to us. It's just fabulous.
2: Yeah, we actually utilized that on uh, Tuesday. We had um, last week they watched um, Introduction to Course in Miracles with Advanced Understanding. And so this Tuesday we had rather... Treacherous icy weather here, so we had a smaller than normal group, and I gave them, uh, you know, several options, and the option was to listen to the archive of December thirtieth show, and um, and it's just a great resource to have to be able to download that, have it on my computer or my phone, and didn't even have to have the internet hook up, and so we listened to that show, which has um, a summary of the the work and. Brings in the way of mastery and Dale Ellen Hoffman and Guy Finley and the worksheet process. And and then somebody did a worksheet and another um, worksheet that helped clarify how difficult it can be sometimes to keep the goal lined up with the person, the triggering event, the thought, the emotion, and have them all line up in a way that's going to really up the unconscious. So, um, you know, part of the difficulty was the person had a, a fear, and then um, they they pinpointed that their thought had to do with that they wouldn't be able to make enough money to sustain themselves, and then they decided to set a goal, and their goal was going to be That they're successful in business and I questioned that 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 really wasn't getting at the heart of the worksheet process for them because the issue isn't that they had tried and failed in business the issue was they were all pumped up with anxiety simply because they had thoughts that they would not succeed. So with some pushback, again, because the person didn't want to go there with the goal, I have them look into what they needed to change inside themselves and and state a positive goal for a change inside themselves rather than a positive goal for something outside of them to change. And so she settled on something like my goal is for me to be confident in my ability to succeed. Because if she was confident in her ability to succeed, then she wouldn't have this anxiety about, you know, fear of failing. And so it was very instructive and as often happens in those group processes there were at least 3 other people who had their own issues of Lack of confidence gets stirred up, and it either came out in their worksheets or it came out in the discussion afterwards. So, very, very loving, very productive, uh, emotionally charged, and productive um, group on Tuesday night. And um, my, again, my my gratitude gets resonated deeply for the loving, intelligent, and courageous people that meet. On a regular basis for those groups, and uh, i'm I'm privileged to have the uh, the opportunity to do that again tonight. We'll have another meeting so that's my report that's what's been happening for me and um you know I, I talked about it on Monday or on Tuesday. Uh, again, I have more people who are coming in to say, "Let me just tell you the benefit." that I've noticed in the past couple of weeks from applying these tools. So I just uh that's that's my report. And of course, um if we haven't mentioned it in a while here, that book, The Gentle Art of Blessing, is is a wonderful resource uh and, and really spells out and somebody had the question on Tuesday night, um, what's the difference between prayer and blessing? or maybe this was monday night somebody asked me that and and i said well i don't know you know everybody's going to have different definitions for this but after reading a book like the gentle art of blessing i now think about blessing someone as holding an image in my mind of them living into their highest and best potential and so if i'm seeing somebody who's being impatient or rude or um angry i hold an image in my mind of them being patient and respectful and loving and calm because we all have that as our basic true nature and that is possible for each of us to live into that and so for me blessing is the mental rehearsal and the projection of an image in my mind of this other person living into their highest and best and then prayer would be about my holding images for myself or my asking for clarity and, and asking to be aligned with the the desire of the creator. So, so that, those are my offerings for today in this abbreviated show.
1: Cool. Awesome. And so I love that you pointed up once again, because it can't be repeated too often, that um, key step of making sure that you're working with the most accurate goal you have for the object of attention of the worksheet and that oftentimes when people are in resistance that they'll switch worksheets right there at step three they'll start out with you know well I have a goal for my boss and then they get to step three and they're like well I just want to have a happy life Well, that doesn't have anything to do with your boss if you're doing a goal on yourself or life that would be an appropriate one, but it's a way of switching issues so I don't have to look underneath what's really going on with the boss or, you know, in the example you just used, that it was an inside job of her um, fear of failure. So that is really such an important point to make. That, uh, thanks for, uh, for reinforcing it and bringing it forward. And Jeannie tells us we've got a caller, so let's say hello to our caller. Yes
0: period, Code 417. I think it's Julie Haverstick. Welcome to the show. And I do want to say I apologize if I was short. I know several people were texting me and calling me and telling me that the show wasn't working and I was attempting to talk with Blog Talk and Carol to get it squared away. So I know I cut some of you off short. So I apologize for that. But I needed to get it on and going. Julie, welcome. Welcome you be lady, welcome. Hi, um, I have a question, Michael, and, and years ago when we would be at um, the Heart Center, you would point out to me at first time that's a relationship based on the head and the heart, and one person you felt like was coming from their heart space and another person was coming from their head space. At least that's what I, you know, perceive. And as I look at it now, I was wondering how does that apply now taking that information and bringing that into an individual, are we to align our head and heart um, because that was kind of, you were talking about individuals coming together. And now as I come together, what does that really mean, the head and the heart? I don't know if I'm asking I'm not quite
1: Yeah, I'm not quite sure what your question is, Julie.
0: Okay, so I remember when you would say, well, this is a couple that are joining, um, and he's coming from his head space, she comes from her heart space, so they will be more in balance. How do we balance ourselves with our own head and our heart?
1: Well, my take would be, and I know that you've never heard me do this answer before, would be all of the above. That if you were to listen to thirteen hundred hours of our radio shows, the archives, Dr. Tim's done, Jeannie's done, I've done, none of us none of us have ever said a word about anything else but doing that. And and the bottom line of that would be that if I've got my being plugged into love, if I'm if I'm standing in that space where I'm connected to love then my head and my heart are going to function as a unit. If I'm separated from the presence of love, if I'm disconnected from love, then my head is going to be limited to whatever's stored in the multi-generational database called the body-mind unit. So I'm going to be trying to figure something out by rotating through information stored in my mind from the past. And with that happening... I have no actual access to the present. The only thing that gives us access to the actual present is when I'm connected to love, when I'm connected to the truth of who I am as a human being, as that newborn energy of love, then I have access to the actual present moment. Otherwise, I'm just cycling through what's gone on in my mind from the past. Is that kind of a hit in the you were looking at?
0: Um, Yes, you know, that speaks to it. Um, I I was um, experiencing the other day where I was noticing that if I used certain language, it was um, going to my heart. And I'm thinking that when we're possibly unconscious, we do not realize what we are sowing in our heart space and therefore, um, you know, not realizing what we are reaping because when I... Um, tapped into, wow, I'm really feeling these words. It was just a whole new reality for me or, or actuality.
1: Yeah, that would be, for me, that would be the place where I'm now in alignment. And, you know, you go back, and Tim was talking about prayer. That prayer is to set a trap for God, that we align with the active presence of love and actually capture and bring that live presence of love forward through our bodies into the world and when that happens then instead of the mind I had a lot of noise in the background so I Gene you should mute uh, sounds like maybe Julie's out in the wind so we'll connect you again in a second Julie But so when I'm Connected to that, then my mind is going to be aligned with it, otherwise I'm going to be stuck in that you know the the number one pseudo solution of the non being mind that we talk about in the codependence work is if I could just figure this out. so here I am, you know the analogy would be there's a new piece of information that's never been shown in the universe to exist, and I want to capture that piece of information. It's never existed anywhere in the universe. And I now have an array of computers where I'm connected to every, you know, the the largest computer systems in the world are called Cray computers. So I now have a link to every Cray computer in the world, and I'm searching through that database for the answer to this question that's never been known in the universe. I can have the most powerful, most awesome, fabulous computer array that ever existed. And if the answer isn't in there... I can't have it. I can't access it. And so the person who's stuck in their heads are connected to an absolutely awesome multi-generational database computer that's more phenomenal than even all the Cray computers. Just one human form has that capacity. But, If we're looking for an experience of something that's happening in this present moment through our heads, which is connected to that database, we can't find the experience of the present moment in that because it's not there. It's just that is not there. The experience of being, of living as an actual human life, as love, in the presence of this event in my life, doesn't exist in my carbon-based memory system or my multi-generational database that I call a body-mind unit. And that's that. trying to figure it out. And that's the number one pseudo-solution. If you look all over the world, virtually everybody's trying to figure it out. And you can't figure it out because the answer isn't in there. <laughs> so it only comes from when I reconnect to my source, when I reconnect to that mind that literally has access to all of creation simultaneously and instantly. And we were designed to be connected to that level of understanding and being. And then in that space, through the five smooth stones, through the higher faculties, we can capture the actual present moment experience and then we can tell our minds about it. But we're not going to find it in our minds. Once we tell our minds about it, then the mind is going to become the great pretender See, I am alive. I am having a live present moment experience. See, look what I've got. I've got the answer to this question. But that question is now 30 seconds old. It's not alive anymore. It's already done. It's already finished. You you can't have it 30 seconds from now. You can only have it now. 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 That's a being connected to love. That's human life operating. And the world has taught us to get lost in our heads and give that up for information stored in the database from the past that can never give us a present moment experience. So, contrary to popular belief, the answer lies in collapsing the output of the mind. Literally, to truly heal and truly experience life, you've got to be out of your mind. And what this genius Yeshua understood and taught 2,000 years ago was how to collapse that thing and shut it up. And when we can collapse it and and shut it up and stop its yelling and screaming and raging and I got the answer and I got it figured out and I have to figure it out, when we can just shut that thing up, ah, there I am, I'm in the present. And the reason they call it the present is because whenever you're there, there's a present, there's a gift, and the gift is the present moment. So that would be my take on your questions. Does that fit for you, Julie?
0: Nicely said, yes. Um, It was great. Fantastic. I I, uh, I truly appreciate it.
1: All right. Well, we're delighted to have you on our team, and we're delighted to be on your team. And uh, I'm not getting any signals here, but it looks like we're down to the last minute or so, so I'm just going to (laughs) say... My phone says it's 1.59. We were 10 minutes late getting on the show. Maybe because
0: they reset us. They gave yep. us a full hour.
1: Oh, okay. Well, then maybe we've still got an hour. So if you want to stay with us, stay with us. we got another 10 minutes. We just found a bonus. So that's cool. So do we have anybody else with a hand up, Jeannie? Well, seems how we've still got another 10 minutes on the uh, on the time clock... Uh, because my, my clock is saying it's 2 o'clock, but uh, when they reset us, they gave us uh, that 10 minutes back that we lost in the beginning. So here we are. Dr. Tim, any other thoughts, any other input? Looks uh, like Dr. Say, Tim Dr. has dropped off. Okay. So Dr. Tim's has dropped off. He probably had clients set up for 2 o'clock. And so we do have a call. we got a caller. Let's say hello to our caller. Area code 616, you're on the air. Give us a name. Where are you calling from?
3: Uh, uh, hello, Dr. Michael. This is uh, Maureen from Clear Rapids. Hi, Maureen. Nice to hear your voice. How are you? Uh, good. How are you? In the, in the, in the enjoying uh, Orlando?
1: Very much. Very much. Our intensity was awesome, and uh, we're getting ready to start tonight for the next level. So we're rocking along. We've had beautiful weather. Still cool at night. It's probably about 72, 73 degrees right now. And... Uh, so we're enjoying it, and uh, um, how how are things going with your uh, your beautiful daughters?
3: Oh, uh, uh, well, they're, they're they're doing good. Um, they're, uh, my five year old uh, spontaneously wanted to do a, a worksheet the other night, although uh, I think it was to delay her bedtime. But hey, I'll I'll, I'll take what I can get. So. <laughs>
1: There you go. That's awesome. What hey, it's a great excuse. Yeah. Yes, you can stay up for that one anytime you want. <laughs>
3: yeah, it, 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 exactly. I, I and then uh yeah, at Target they have these you uh, know really little tum tum dolls now. So uh uh Santa got got me put some in my stocking um so i have like little miniature dolls i can uh, take with me where, wherever i go so awesome. uh, cool. yeah um i um uh let's see uh, you, you were talking before about trying to hit on the the right goal um and um i'm actually hopefully getting close to applying for a position in um Kind of faltering between confidence and self-doubt, and um, was kind of trying to hit upon a, um, a a worksheet to do in relation. And I'm kind of unsure about what my goal is, so I I was calling to seek some support in that.
1: Can you give me a little insight into what's happening?
3: Oh, um, I see, um, it, there is a, um, a position for a, um, a, a kind of a, a teaching position in a new school that's starting in, in Grand Rapids, uh, and I am wanting to um, apply for it. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, you know, like I really want this, but it's like, can I do it? Am I worthy really, uh you know uh, of it? Am I feeling responsible enough for it um so it's like okay you know i I know you know I'm having negative thoughts and I know I need to do a you know a, a worksheet on it like i'm equal- i'm scared equally of giving the position and not getting the position. Of, okay. you know so. like um you know it it you know if I don't get it, i'm gonna be disappointed, but if I do get it, i'm gonna be scared that I'm going to mess mess it up somehow of uh, you know the the fear- of failure and, and you know i you know i i i know there's probably many worksheets that i um you know should do up around it and I'm just kind of stuck as to okay where do I start
1: well let me ask a seemingly unrelated question okay when you were a kid mm-hmm. and your and your power person disapproved of you yes because you didn't do it right how mm-hmm. did that feel
3: um i I I felt ashamed.
1: Okay. So my offering would be that would be the place to start your worksheets. Okay. Is that it? Sounds like perhaps to start now. There's there are a whole array of worksheets that I would suggest you do on this, but I'd start with uh, the feeling. You know, I'd fill in the feeling maybe first. Jeanie calls this backing into a worksheet. Okay. I fill in number one, one B. And that is shame. And then work backward. I failed and didn't get the job done properly. And what was my goal? My goal was to, you know, maybe hide. My goal was to be perfect. My goal was to shine. My goal was to make sure everybody loved me. Yeah. My goal was to do it right. So from just what your words were, I would say they would be a series of worksheets that would be beneficial to do. Does that fit? Um,
3: yeah, I'm 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 re, re resonating with that. You know, especially psycho. Like, uh, my goal was to uh, kind of avoid displeasing. Um, you know, Well, remember
1: yeah. that. Remember that. That. Um, you, you always want to, when you're doing a worksheet, you look at step three. It's the constructive result. Yeah. So I can not have a goal to avoid displeasing, but yeah. that would, would be the goal to please, the goal to do it right, the goal to be approved though. Okay. So I would say all of those goals would be productive for dealing with this uh, self-doubt and fear.
3: Okay, awesome.
1: You know, the goal for everybody to embrace me as successful the goal to be approved of. If you look at a lot of your behaviors around your power person,
3: mm-hmm.
1: what would it have felt like if you'd have gotten total affirmation approval from your power person? Uh,
3: but, uh, but, uh, probably. Uh or that's a satisfaction, both satisfaction and, and uh, relief.
1: So that's where I'd go. i okay. cancel my goal for full approval and affirmation from my power person. I'd do it on whoever the objects of attention are today in applying for this job. And so you might Perfect. do a worksheet on the head of the board that's making the decision on hiring you you might do a worksheet on your husband as the object of attention, having that goal to please. You might do a worksheet on your children wanting to approve of you because you were outrageously successful at taking on this job. And then I would drop back. If those worksheets don't lead back to it, I'd drop back to my power person when I was a kid and wanting to shine in their eyes and be outrageously successful and be approved of and embraced and cared for and totally affirmed all of those things and, and you might want to i don't know if you've kept up but you might want to go back and and download the archive of this show and just you know go through every one of those thoughts and do worksheets and those and watch how that one you'll just soar right through it
3: uh, uh, awesome thank you very very much
1: absolutely delighted glad to be on your team and glad to have you on ours
3: Good, good, good. Glad to be a, a part of all of this. For, for, all right. For sure.
1: All right. Bye bye. Delighted, and we appreciate everybody who's uh, joined us for the show. Even though it was a little late in starting, hopefully we'll have that resolved by tomorrow. And tomorrow, Friday, will be the end of the week. We're uh, if everybody would just hold the space, just center some loving energy in the direction of Orlando, where we've got people gathering for Laws of Living, and. We hold the space that you're going to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.